Come on, give Jesus a big hand this morning. He is worthy of all our praise, huh? We'll give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good today, and you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. We have been doing a series the last few weeks called Turnaround Leaders for Troubled Times. There is such a, a, this election is very much different than many in the past. Uh, Americans are very aware that we're headed in two very different directions and people realize the country is broken and needs some help. But how many know a turnaround leader is not only needed in America, turnaround leaders are needed in broken families. Turnaround leaders are needed in the city that's twice as nice, that's sometimes twice as mean. I mean, understand what we're talking about. And, so when we look in the Bible, the Bible is not just history, though it is history. It's not just doctrine, but it is doctrine. The Bible is a place we can go to see how to live life each day. I do my best to make the Bible a very practical book for you. And we've been looking in this series at different leaders in the Bible and see how God used them to turn things around. Now, last week we looked at a guy named Saul, and Saul was not a turnaround leader. Actually, Saul was promoted, and he made things worse. So we learned from him what we don't want to be. But this morning we're going to look at a guy named David. David was arguably one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. Uh, we can't just look at his life in a chapter or so because literally dozens of chapters are written about and by this guy David. The books of First and Second Samuel uh, are about his life. You'll find the book of Psalms. Most of the Psalms were written by David. So he's a guy that offers a lot to us. But I want to try to, this week, take a look at some of the key decisions he faced, key challenges that were just kind of in front of his face and how he responded because he was an incredible guy. Acts 13, verse 21. The people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul. Verse 22, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Now listen to this. A man about whom God said, I have found David a man after my own heart. Can you say that with me? A man after my own heart. This is God's reputation or testimony of him. And then he said this, he'll do everything I want him to do. But it's this phrase, a man after my own heart, that I'm concerned about this morning that catches my eye. This Hebrew idiom is also translated, David is the kind of man I want. Or how about this one? This is my favorite. God said this, David is the kind of man I like. Now, wouldn't that be a cool testimony if God looked at you and said, hey, you're the kind of guy that I like. Now, how many know God loves everybody? For God so loved yeah, that he gave his only son. That was about our sin. But how many know, even with your children, you'll always love your kids even if they're in jail. But yet there are times when your kids are li living right, doing right, it makes you very proud of them. And you like what they're doing. You're thrilled about it. And that's what God is saying about David, is this guy David wants to please me more than anything else. It's like this guy David, his life was revolving around God and God's will, just like the planets are revolving around the sun. And that's what I'm going to uh, portray to you this morning is about a guy who was living to please God is a guy that you and I can be like. David was not just born a special guy. David would make choices every day to revolve his life around the principles and priorities of God. David was not perfect. Either next week or the week after, I'll probably do a message about David's great fall, his sin with Bathsheba, and see what happens when we as Christians and when we as leaders mess up. Because how many know God doesn't have any perfect people? 
And most of the time, you know, our sins kind of get cast by the wayside, but sometimes they get us in big, big trouble. But how many know even when we're in big, big trouble, God is a redemptive God, and He can turn that around, and He can, can use it for good. But this morning, let's look at three things in David's life, three very practical things he faced, but the outcome revealed a man whose heart was after God, so he did it the right way, and we can follow in his footsteps. Acts, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Let me give you the first one. It pleased God when David faced his challenges with faith instead of fear. Let me say it again. There's two ways that you can respond when, when something unexpected and challenging happens. You can either respond with fear or with faith. Fear simply is paralyzed. Fear is intimidated. Uh, faith, on the other hand, finds and sees God in the midst of it uh, rather than allowing the circumstances to shut them down. Uh, verse 45, David said to the Philistine. Let me give you a little context. This is arguably one of the most uh, recognizable chapters in the whole of the Old Testament. It's about David and Goliath. And now we've got a picture. There's a battle that's going on. Thousands of Israelites facing thousands of Philistines. Uh, it's been going on for 40 days. And what's happened early every morning, this guy named Goliath came out. Goliath was nine foot nine inches tall. Now, how many know that's a pretty big guy? Now, his problem was when he played basketball, he, didn't ha he, he was worried about hitting his head on the rim. I mean, I can't even, I barely touch the rim anymore. But this guy, if he just jumped a little bit, he was that big. I mean, he was a brawny guy. Uh, his spear, his weapon of choice, 15 to 18 pounds. Now, can you imagine throwing 15 pounds just like you and I would maybe throw a ball or something like that? Well, this guy was huge. He comes out every morning, and he basically laughs at Israel. He said, look, you send me your best guy, I'll whip him, and then we'll be your boss. And Israel was terrified with fear. Now, Goliath is not just a person, but he is representative to us today of a circumstance in your life that stands in your way and says, you're not going to get by me. There's nothing you can do in your best day. Because every day, these guys would get up to go to battle, and for 40 days, they'd be intimidated and shaking in their boots. But along comes this young man named David. And I want you to see the difference. David had something called faith in God when the other people were paralyzed with fear. The scripture goes on to say, Goliath, or David said, You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You come to me with a lot of money. You come to me with a lot of education. You come to me with a lawsuit. You come to me with a, a bad report from the doctor. You come to me with a, a layoff notice. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. This day, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Now, mind you, he's probably as far as from me to the wall from, from, from Goliath. And he's talking to this huge guy with these words. Thousands of people are listening. And they're hearing something they've never heard before because they've been scared and intimidated. God's going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. That's pretty big. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. In other words, God doesn't need just the educated people or just the rich people or, or just the experienced people. But the Bible says the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. Now that's a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. And of course you know the story. Goliath got angry. He laughed at him. And all David did was pick up a rock and he slung it and he hit this big guy in his only vulnerable spot right in his head. He falls down. Blood's gushing. I mean, it's a wild thing. And here David, what was supposed to stop him, he stepped on top of it and that became the platform for him to become a leader in Israel. 
And that's oftentimes what the crisis before us is, what this unsolvable problem is, the impossible circumstance. And, and it could smother us, or we could step on top of it by faith, come on, and see God lead us through it. Because, I mean, no, the Lord's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, never going to turn His back on us, but He will see us to the other side if we just don't give up and just don't quit in our faith. You see, the difference between these two, all Israel, all they saw was Goliath, but David, through faith, chose to see God. Come on, the unseen God who was bigger. Now, Hebrews eleven six it tells us this, because we know that faith is simply believing in God in spite of the facts. Faith believes no matter what the facts say. Now, here's something that I know. Wednesday morning, you're either going to be really happy or really sad. Election on Tuesday... Hopefully we'll know Tuesday night that's not real drunk out. But you're going to be really happy or really sad. But can I tell you this? God is still God on Wednesday morning. No matter what happens on Tuesday night or whenever this thing is unveiled, God has not been shaken once at one bit. There's not going to be a closed sign on heaven gates, come on, if it doesn't go your way. How many know God is still God? And you and I are going to have to have faith whichever way it goes, because how many know no man is big enough to fix what's broken in America? Listen, no man can fix what's broken any more than a man could stop the storm that came and devastated the Northeast. No man is big enough to snap his fingers and say, this shall be solved. I mean, we see the calamity that's all around us, and God is looking for people, men and women, who will step to the forefront and have faith to believe in Him and follow Him no matter what unfolds before us. Hebrews eleven six it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Which simply means you and I, beyond our salvation experience, we know that takes faith. But to live the Christian life each day cannot just be bounded by what I see on the news or what I read on my phone or what I read in the newspaper. But I must see God, come on, looming over whatever is out there in the world. And that's exactly what David did. Now, when the average person saw Goliath, he shut down. Let me ask you a question. What do you do? What do you do, or what would you do if you go into work tomorrow and you lose your biggest contract? What would you do if you go into work tomorrow and unexpectedly you get a pink slip? What would you do if you go to the doctor, your annual physical, and the doctor says, uh, I want you to come back. You think everything is fine, and you go back and you say, what's wrong? And the nurse said, well, I, 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 I can't say. And the doctor comes in and said, I found a, a lump. Come on. I found a growth that concerns me deeply. What would you do? Do you just shut down? Now, this is how life is lived. What do you do in the middle of the night? You're signed up for the, for the you know, storm alert system like I am, and, and you get a call in the middle of the night, and there's a tornado coming, a tornado warning, and it says, you know, take, take cover. When you're in that closet, is fear with you or is faith with you? Now, look, fear is going to be there, but you're either going to step on top of it with faith or it's going to be your abiding partner. See, this is, this is how real Christian life is lived out. Goliath is real. But I'm telling you, you can find God in the middle of it. I walked through this this week in a very practical way. Now, we've had Jesus Fest 22, 23 years, 25 years, maybe a long, long time. Well, this Monday I got a call from one of the guys and some kids had been texting one another and saying that there's going to be some gang violence at the Jesus Fest. There's going to be some, some violent retaliation and they wanted a crowded place where they couldn't get caught. Well, how many of you got to take that pretty serious? Because as your pastor, there's something more important than a handful of candy. Come on, it's the safety of people that are there. 
the police called to the police. They began to investigate, you know, what they found, and it was legitimate. I mean, there were a lot of things going on. A lot of the people had already been in jail, but it, uh, it caused a little bit of a pause, and it caused some extra praying. And uh, the uh, Texarkana Police Department, right in there, I mean, they had undercover people. They knew what was going on and all. But I called our sheriff, Sheriff Prince. He's, he's here this, this morning. And uh, I asked him, I said, what do you think about what's going on? He said, take it serious. I said, do you think our precautions are right? He said, I think they're right. But, Pastor, I think this is a spiritual attack. Listen now. It's a spiritual attack that the devil would like to shut down the Jesus Fest because of all the good that it does for the community and the people. And it was like, the facts are real. Goliath is real. But, come on, faith gets bigger than the facts. And, and, and I'm thrilled to tell you, and I'm thrilled the police were there, but how many know God is the one that causes Goliath to fall to the ground, not just the rock that David throws? It takes faith and the rock working together, and David is an example for us because Goliath became for him the stepping stone to his path towards being the king. His whole reputation changed because he responded with faith and not fear. Now listen to what David wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalms 56. David said this, he said, when I am afraid. Now he didn't say, if I am afraid, and all the choir said, he said, when I'm afraid. I mean, it's something that all human beings have. And just because you're afraid doesn't mean you can't have faith. It doesn't mean you can't have a little shake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you're going to go face the thing that you don't want to be there. He said, when I am afraid, I'm making a choice. I will trust in you. When I get the doctor's report, when the attorney calls, when this layoff slip is in my hands, I'm choosing truth. I'm choosing to believe God, and I'm choosing to believe His Word. I praise God for what He has promised. Now, this is huge. This is where Christians have to press in. This is why the Bible is so vitally important, because the Holy Spirit can take written Scripture, the Logos, turn it into Rhema, a living Word from God, and it's like God speaking to you in the middle of the situation, and then you can do what the Scripture says. It is then that you can praise God for what He's promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Now, that's powerful from a man who walks through things like you and I do, but he pleased God. And what pleased God is rather than being shut down by fear, he chose faith. How many know that pleased God? It worked for David. It'll work for us. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. <laughs> Chapter 24, let me give you the second thing I see in David's life, another uh, forwards look. It pleased God when David honored authority and wouldn't rebel or promote himself. Now, that's a mouthful. Let me say it again. It was pleasing to God the way that God or David related to King Saul, who was a God-ordained authority, even though David could have taken his place and taken him out. I mean, either God will promote us or we'll promote ourselves. The Christian life is not lived like you know, a football team or like a business deal when you're trying to, you know, get secrets from your clients and, and intercept this and that and, and, and find out the bidding process and sneak a lower. The Christian life is not lived on that level. Somehow God is the one that promotes. Uh, verse 2, now the scenario is David has been anointed king by Samuel the prophet. David is the king, but yet he, it's not public yet. He's not been accepted by the world. Saul is still in place as the king, even though Saul has gone nuts. Saul is jealous. He's angry at David. Uh, he realizes the anointing is on David's life, and he wants to get rid of it. So he's attacking David in the wilderness. David has about 400 men. Saul has 3,000. In verse 2, Saul takes his 3,000 chosen men from Israel and began looking for David. 
Verse 3, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. Okay, he went to the bathroom. Okay, this is kind of funny. But, I mean, you know, you're traveling and you stop at the gas station, you find a little stall, you lock the door, and it's just you. Well, Saul goes to the bathroom, and I don't know if it's a huge cave and hundreds of guys are there, or whether it's a small cave and some of David's guys are there, but the bottom line, here's a guy going to the bathroom and you're behind him going, ho, ho. Now, your enemy is in the most vulnerable position. Come on. All he's got in his hand is toilet paper. Okay? Look at verse 4. David's buddies said this. Today is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I'm going to give your enemy over to you. Do anything you want to him. Now, he on his own, forget God. He can just take him out. But now his buddies say, this is from the Lord. And the Lord wants you to go ahead and take him out so you can be king so we can live in the nice palace. But look at what David said, and this is the issue. This came from his heart. He said to the man, I should not do anything against him because he's the Lord's appointed king. I shouldn't do anything. I should not take him out. I should not undermine him because he's the one that God placed in this delegated position of authority. Now, I want you to think just a moment about authority because how many know there is authority in the earth today? God appoints authority in the civil realm, in the spiritual realm, in, in the home. And David is an example for us here of how to respond to authority that's not behaving or doing in the right way. Now, uh, David didn't kill him because he was submitted to the authority of God and God's delegated authority. See, the Bible teaches that God places people in these places of authority and there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with them. Whether it's a distant authority like our president, whoever he will be, or whether it's a local person, but people in authority. Let me give you uh, three areas because submitting to God's delegated authority is like submitting to God. And you do understand that the purpose of earthly authority is to prepare you one day to face heavenly authority. One day, all of us are going to stand before God, the ultimate authority and judge. But guess what? That's why God put you in a home and He told kids, obey your parents. And the way you respond in submission or obedience will determine the reward or blessing or the discipline. Well, if you just diss mom and dad and say, the heck with you, I'm doing whatever I want to do, which is the spirit of rebellion, then guess who you're going to face? You're going to face the deputy. You're going to face the police. You're going to find yourself in jail. You say, it's a horrible place to be, unless it causes you to realize that we have to submit to authority. Come on. If we do it willingly, it goes well for us. But if we fight it, it will not go well. And if you will not to submit to authority on earth in the civil system, one day you'll stand before God. And how many know that's the last place that you need to be in rebellion? Let me read you three scriptures. First, civil authority, Romans 13. It says, everyone who feels like it, must submit himself to governing authorities. Is that, is that? No. Everyone. If you're close to your neighbor, you can kind of punch him there. That's everyone. That's you. That's me. This is civil authorities. I, I read an article about the Twitter feeds about the numbers, scores of people who are saying that if Mitt Romney wins, they're going to ride in the streets. That's rebellion against, even if you don't like it. If you don't like President Obama, you know, you can diss him or call him bad words or whatever. But he is still, come on, he's still in authority. You have to see beyond race. We have to even see beyond accomplishment. But somehow he's still in authority. And this next phrase, I cannot explain to you. I'll just read it. 
There is no authority except that which God has established. I cannot explain to you how this relates to civil authority that goes crazy. But this was not written in a democratic American society under George Washington. This was written to people, Christians being persecuted both by the Jewish spiritual leaders and the Roman authorities. It was the Romans who would crucify you. And Paul wrote these words. He said, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And that doesn't mean that God approves and values everyone that's in authority. How many know God would even put up a pagan Pharaoh to accomplish his will under Moses? God would even use kings like Nebuchadnezzar to judge and discipline a nation. So this is not saying that the person who wins is God's choice. God's choice could be to discipline a nation, come on, rather than to bless a nation or to bring a nation forwards. And it makes a difference. It goes on to say, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So our choice is submission or rebellion. It goes on to say that those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And how many know that's not a good thing? Now, we'll balance this out in just a second, but hang on to me because I know what you're thinking. Spiritual authority, Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them because they're smart, because they do what's right, because they get out at 12 o'clock or, you know, whatever. No, because they watch over your souls. Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, you can barely even say that in church in America any longer. What does submission mean? It means yielding your will to another person. Now, let me say this to you. This is not because the person is smarter than you or better than you or knows more than you. It's because of the position, not their performance. Now, listen, I didn't write these things, but it brings up almost the worst. Now, let me say this. Obviously, submission to authority is not unlimited. In Paul's or Peter's day, Peter and John, you remember when, the, when the, the Jewish guys said, look, we want you to quit talking about Jesus, don't tell anybody else. And early in Acts, they said, we're going to obey God rather than man on this one. You've pushed me too far, civil authority. How about in the church? If a Jim Jones wants you to drink Kool-Aid, you know, many years ago, don't drink the Kool-Aid because a church leader tells you to, okay? That's too far. Uh, ladies, if your husband says, we're going to rob a bank, you're going to drive the getaway car, uh, don't tell him, no, you'll use the car to visit him while he's in jail, come on, but, but there's just some things that you're not going to do. So, so, so submission to authority is not unlimited, but if you can imagine a continuum between submission on this end and rebellion on this end, you don't want to be just in the middle. I think you want to be more on this side because that's the place that's pleasing to God. And if David could honor ungodly Saul and his actions and allow God to promote him at the right time, how many know God can do the same thing to us? Because that's what's pleasing to the Lord. Give the Lord a good hand on that this morning. Let, let me look at one more this morning. I want you to go to chapter 30. It pleased God when David didn't quit, when things got hard. Now I want you to hang in there on this one because you, everyone can relate to this. It pleased God when David didn't quit, but David found strength from God to face his problems. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, uh, David in, is in the wilderness. Now, this is after the experience with Saul. He's living among the Philistines. He's, you know, he's kind of waiting to be king. But here's what I want you to know. This chapter is about one chapter away from God making David king. Right now, he's kind of king in hiding. 
But it's about one chapter away from God removing Saul and making David, it bringing him to the place he wanted to be. But guess what? Um, David could have lost it all in chapter 30. If David would have quit because the difficulties were so strong, he would have lost it all and never realized the great thing he could be. And, and, and I want you to see that it pleases God when we don't quit. So David and his men arrived at their hometown of Ziklag, and they found the Amalekites had burned it to the ground. Now, I want you to think about your house right now, and I want you to think about going home. And I want you to think about being maybe a mile away, and you see this huge plume of smoke in the air. Maybe two miles away. Maybe you can see it from the church, and you wonder. I live in Redwater, and you wonder where that is. And the closer you go, the more concerned you get, because you know that's in the direction of where your house is. And your house, when you drive up, the closer you get, the more it seems like it's your house, it's your apartment, it's, your where, it's where you live. And the closer you get, the, 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 it's there. The fire trucks are there. You hear sirens. Policemen are there. And all of a sudden, you know it's your house. David drives up to that. Burned to the ground. Not only that, verse 2, they carried off the women and children and everyone else, but they didn't kill anyone. Verse 3, David and his men realized what happened to their families. Verse 4, they wept and they could no, until they could weep no more. Have you ever cried so much that you just couldn't even... Yeah, I see it. Head shaking. Lost her adult child not too long ago. You ever cried when all that could come out was just... A... <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's where they were. These big brawny men... I'm talking about guys that lived at the gym. Muscle men, tough guys, couldn't weep. Verse 6, now David was in great danger because all his men were bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they wanted to blame somebody and they began talking of stoning David. Now how many know you could close the story right there and nothing else would be written about David? You could stop the story right there and you could say, well, it seemed like it was going to be really great and it was going to be wonderful, but it, it didn't happen, it's over, and it, it, it stopped. David didn't quit. He got closer to God. Look what it says. David found what? Strength in the Lord his God. David, in the midst of all that, found strength in the Lord his God. Now, what would the average person do? Average person, if you went through something that climactic, where every one of your fears were realized at once, Average person would, would get depressed. The average person would lock themselves in their room. They'd quit eating. They'd have to get pills to help them sleep, pills to help them wake. And listen, if you've got to have a pill, God bless the pill. But that's what the average person would The average person would be suicidal. If I was a counselor and I went in this situation, I'd be listening. I'd ask, have you thought about taking your life? And if they said yes, I'd take it real, real serious. The average person would listen with get mad at God because there's this thought going on in your mind why did God let this happen if God was a loving God then why did my house burn down why is all my possessions gone where is my wife there's a note attached to one of the trees and said I got your cute little wife and your cute little girl and just imagine what I'm going to do to them where was God See, we forget sometimes that we live in a world that has evil in it and sin is, is so intricately woven into the culture of society all because of Adam's wrong choice in the Garden of Eden. That's what we're living out today. But we know there's a good God and we can't reconcile why there's evil in the world and when it collapses upon our life, we don't know what to do. 
But my friend, what David did is he made again a choice, not based on what he felt, but he chose to keep following God rather than quitting. And I can tell you this is as huge as it gets. And that's where strength comes from when you keep trying to get closer to God. Come on, when you feel like quitting. Now, you say, well, how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you some things that I do, in my, and I've never faced anything like this, but I can tell you what I do when I get in something that's overwhelming. I find a place to pray, and I start praying in the Spirit. I start praying in the Holy Ghost, and I start... I just start stirring myself, not looking for an emotion, but looking for my faith and my spirit to get over the weakness of my soul. And I begin to pray. And then I start talking to the right people. I don't want to talk to someone who's going to say, Oh, I know, it's just so bad. I want to talk to somebody who's going to say, In the name of Jesus, that you're going to, you're going to make it. You're, not, you're going to live and you're not going to die. It, you're, you're going to, your business is going to recover. Come on, you're, you're, going to have, you're going to have joy in life again. I, I want someone that will speak into my life when my spirit is so broken and vulnerable that I can't stand it and don't know where to turn. And I want someone to speak life into me. Come on, not just positive thinking, but I want somebody that's anointed by the Holy Spirit to talk to me. And I find some time to get in the Bible because I find that when I'm into the Bible, sometimes I have to, to look and look and look and look and look. But sooner or later, there's going to be a word that's going to jump off the page. And God's going to turn the written logos into a rhema. And when God speaks to you, how many know you can keep going? You face tomorrow. And then you begin to praise God, not just for what happened, but for what He's going to do in the future. And all of a sudden, nothing has changed around you. Ziklag is still burned down. Your wife is still gone. You don't know where the stuff is. The guys have still got rocks in their hands. But all of a sudden, you stand up in a place of strength. Come on. Rather than a place of worry, fear, and anxiety. And says, guys, I don't understand it. I don't know. But I just know God. And I'm just going to keep stick. I'm going to take some baby steps until I can start taking man steps again. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you'd find that God indeed spoke and He told David, go pursue, overtake, and recover all. And lo and behold, they find where everybody is and their wives are okay and everything is good. And before you know it, come on, this man, once again, just like with Goliath, was a step up. Ziklag became a step up and to the place God wanted him to be. And that's what David wants to tell us today. Listen, is if you just won't quit, God will help you to the next step. Let me read this to you. Psalm 63, and I'm going to wrap up. Psalm 63. Now, this is crucial. The spiritual strength of a crisis is determined by your daily walk with God. Now, some of us, you may be like I used to be. When I was a kid, 19, 18 years old, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. Now, I believed. I had a Bible. I had it on my shelf. And when I was scared, I'd put it under my pillow. All I did was give you a headache. But when I was in trouble, I'd say, oh, God, please help, please help, please help, please help. And he's like, your Bible's a magic lamp. Please help, please help, please help, please help. And when the crisis is over, you put the Bible back on the shelf and you go back to living life. But if you have a daily walk with God, listen to what David said. Psalm 63, verse 1, a psalm of David. Oh, God, say it with me. You are my God. Now, he's not talking about the man upstairs. He's not talking about theology. He's not talking about God. You are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Is in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Now, here's what I'm telling you. 
God forbid a crisis ever comes in your life. But if it does, if you have a track record of walking with God, when that happens, you'll shake a little bit, but you'll keep walking after God until you walk out of it. That's why it's so important every day. Sometimes between that alarm going off and that cup of coffee that you need to survive, come on, sometimes in there you need to look to heaven and say, Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. How can I say that? All I can say is I can get up in the morning. <laughs> okay, go to bed earlier, okay? Whatever. But I'm telling you, you're engaging your Father in heaven. You're not just reading your Bible because you have to read your Bible. You're not just reading it for information. You're reading it to understand how God thinks and for God to talk to you through the Bible. You, you turn the radio off rather than listening to it maybe on the way to work because it's late and you hadn't prayed because you just want to be with God. And maybe your prayer is not any petition, but it's maybe it's just saying, thanks, Lord, for letting me get up this morning, and, and thanks for the car, and thank you that gas is not $4 a gallon. Come on, thank you, Lord, I had something to eat today, and thank you that I got a job to go to, and thank you that the sky is pretty this morning. Come on, thank you for a little bit of rain. And, and before you know it, you're walking with God, and you do your best to walk with God throughout the day. And then when the crisis, crisis is there, you don't have to say, where are you? You just say, I believe. And in the process, you find the strength of God. Come on, give him a good hand today, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. Let me close with our text as we started Acts 13, 22. You remember, God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. Or the other translation says, this is the kind of man I like. And here's how we're going to close today. I'm going to ask you if you are in your heart will just join with me today because we want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I want my life to revolve around God just like the planets revolve around the sun. And this is not just a feeling you have in church. It's a choice you're going to make tomorrow morning, this afternoon, the next day. It's a choice that when Goliath gets in front of you, that you're going to choose faith instead of fear. It's a choice you're going to make when you're confronted by an authority that's behaving in, you know, a, a less than appropriate way. If they hadn't crossed the line, you're not going to cross the line. You're more of a Christian, come on, with biblical rights than an American with the Bill of Rights. You're going to make a choice, and God will be pleased. You're going to make a choice that when your ziklag happens, pray to God it never does, but if whatever level it comes to you, that you're not going to quit because that pleases God. And I'm telling you, I don't understand Job. I don't understand why this guy had to go through so much. But I do know where it came from. It came from the devil. And somehow God showed, that this man, showed even the devil that this man can be trusted. And when it was all over, God blessed him way more at the end than he had at the beginning. I can tell you God is a faithful God, and he's worthy of living to please him. Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll pray together today. Just begin to sing a song, Pastor Nick, and I, I want you to join me now, and let's ask the Lord to, to seal this word on our hearts. Let me be a doer of this word, not just a hearer. Stay with me just a minute. When you leave, you can get a voter guide and, and all about the day and guest reception. But, but right now, let God speak to you a minute. Would you just go ahead and say,
That's what we want. Seven days a week. His presence sustains us. This is my day very word, Lord, your very word. We want you, Lord. We want to be a man, a woman after God's own heart. We want to be somebody that you like. That's, that's our desire today, that we wouldn't just be religious, we wouldn't just go to church, we wouldn't just have a God box in our life where we engage you and then put you back, but that you would be the center of our life, that we would have the reputation that David did. This guy's got a heart that's after God. This is the kind of guy I like. That's what you desire from God. Slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, help me on the journey. Because it's not going to be any easier for me than it was. The Goliaths are still real. It's still hard to submit to a Saul. And Ziklag is painful. But I want to pray that you would bring me to that place as your child. And that my life literally is captured by God. I have fun. I get married. I go on vacations. I get new cars. But in all that stuff... You're still the center of my life. And that's the way I want to live. Please help me to do it. In Jesus' name. We're going to have a personal prayer because I know many of you today, when God speaks to us, how many know we need to respond to that? And maybe you're here today and, and you need someone to engage the presence of God with you in prayer. Maybe you really struggle with fear. I'm telling you, it's a real thing. And it's easy to talk about faith in church, but in your real life, fear controls you. I'd, I'd come let somebody pray with you about that. It's easy to say, submit to a Saul when you're, you know, sitting in a church, but when Saul is acting crazy in your life and it's overwhelming and, 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 and your nature is to rebel, can I tell you, you can bring that to God and God can change your nature. Or, or, or maybe... When Ziklag happens, you just shut down. Maybe you don't have a real daily time with God. Or, or more important, maybe you don't even know the Lord in a personal way. That would be my testimony as a teenager. I went to church. I prayed when trouble came. I took communion. But I had never surrendered my life to Christ. Like the Christian life is like a, a, a bus stop. And periodically we come to times and, and, and the bus comes there and we decide if we're going to get on or not. See, Jesus is the driver of that bus, and I can say, I'll wait for the next one. I'll do it another day. But for me, it was August 15th, 1976. And it was a time of my life where I realized living for myself, having God on the margins is not enough. I need God in my life. I need God's forgiveness. I need God. I just need to find my life in God. And I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I became a follower of Christ. Maybe that's what you need today. Someone will be honored to pray with you and then give you some things to help you. Maybe you're a Christian and you've gotten away from God and you know that you need to get back. And right now you just feel God kind of pulling you and tugging you because the life you're living 
is not the life that you know God wants you to live, let us pray for you today. Whatever it is, give God a chance. We'll sing this song through one time and, and then be dismissed. Our prayer team is coming now. And if you need prayer for any of these things today, you come up and let us pray for you. You and God seal the deal. Everybody needs prayer. Come let us pray. I love you. I am I am all